Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, December 13th, 2021. As I think through the most joyful experiences of my life, some of the things at the top of that list are the birth of my children, right? The moments that they are born, when we see them for the first time, hear their first little cries, see what are they going to look like? What color hair are they going to have? These are moments of incredible joy in my memory. Uh, But also, they are so joyful because they were preceded often by pain. And now this is where I have to be honest and admit that that was pain I was personally experiencing vicariously because my wife was the one actually doing the brunt of the the pain bearing, right? She had to go through the painful, physically painful experience of giving birth to a child. But in the wake of that, there comes this incredible joy. And I think particularly of our first daughter, Hannah, a harder labor with her, my wife really struggling through that process, but the joy that we both felt when Hannah was born, when we got to hold her in our arms, that was truly incredible joy. And that is the picture that Jesus uses to describe the kind of joy that he wants his disciples to have. And we're going to see that today in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. And it starts off with Jesus saying this statement, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. And then there's this it takes several verses to kind of get through this back and forth of the disciples saying, what does he mean by saying this? Jesus saying, are you asking yourselves what I mean by saying this? And then he comes back to it in verse 20, where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And then there is a question people still are wondering, what did Jesus mean by when he said this, was he talking about the second coming? Uh, what was he talking about? Was he talking about the Holy Spirit? And I think the correct understanding is that he is talking about the resurrection. Uh, he is talking about how they will not see him because he will die. He will be buried. The world will rejoice, right? The wicked rulers will be happy that Jesus, this pesky teacher is finally uh, dealt with, but they will be sorrowful, but their sorrow will be turned to joy. And another reason to say, well, I don't think it's talking about the second coming is he implies you're going to be sorrowful until you see me. Uh, And so that would imply Christians, you should be sorrowful until the second coming. And while the scripture does say, blessed are those who mourn again and again and again and again in the New Testament, we are told uh, to rejoice in the Lord always that we are... Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We see joy as something Christians should possess right here, right now. And that comes, I think, from the resurrection. And even that idea, you will see me, that's what they say when Jesus rises again. We have seen the Lord. And so as we think about that, that Jesus 
has risen, that Jesus is alive, it should bring us joy. And that brings us to that illustration in verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Right? What a joy is that? That your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And while we did not experience that uh, sequence of events of seeing Jesus crucified and having to deal with that sorrow, uh, we should experience the joy that comes from the resurrection. And that is what I believe we see throughout the New Testament that Christians should be joyful people and have a joy that no one can take away. Now, I say that with the caveat of, remember, it does say, blessed are those who mourn. I don't think Jesus is saying that we will have joy and never have sorrow in this life. That's going to even contradict some of the things he says, even in this chapter, that there will be trouble in this life. So it's not saying that the joy will never be mixed with sorrow, but our sorrow will never be mixed with joy because our joy cannot be taken away. Are you experiencing that joy today? That is God's desire for you. God wants you to have joy in your heart. Not a joy based on circumstances, not a joy based on success in whatever um, your most important endeavors are that you think are in your life. He wants you to have a joy that comes from the fact that Jesus is alive. And can you stop and think about how that should bring you joy, no matter what your circumstances are this Monday, that you should have joy in your heart because your Savior is alive and all that that means, that you don't need to uh, worry about death, you don't need to fear uh, what might come, you can rejoice that your sin is forgiven and that there is no condemnation. These are things you can rejoice in today. And there are things you can rejoice in because Jesus is alive. And now as we consider more about just the effects of that joy, you get to verses 23 and 24, which say, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So there again, we see this is something that has been repeated now a few times between chapters 14, 15, and 16, this idea of prayer and not just of prayer, but prayer where you ask and you know that you will receive. And that's prayer here described being in Jesus's name. So even there, first and foremost, we're reminded that the access we have to God in prayer is not something we deserve. It is based solely on the grace of Jesus Christ and really our standing in grace because of Jesus Christ. And also his his name really has to do with all that he is. So if we're coming in Jesus' name with him standing on our behalf, there's a sense in which our requests then flow from that relationship. Even what we saw in John 15, right? His words abide in us and that's where this prayer flows out of. And so again, I want you to consider your prayers. Are your prayers more just based off your feelings, 
your thoughts or, or whatever else may be going on? Or are your prayers really flowing from your relationship with Christ, really flowing from uh, the word of Christ? So you know, hey, I am asking this uh, in Jesus's name, both in the sense that really because of who he is and what he has done for me, but also in Jesus' name on really under his authority, based on what he has said, I am asking for these things. And that kind of prayer life is going to be something that brings us joy as well. And speaking of prayer, let's go to an example of prayer that we're seeing and have been seeing in Psalm 141, Psalm 141 verses 5 through 10. And here it's clear that he is praying for protection. He is praying for protection from evildoers, praying uh, for people that want to trap him. You see in verse 8, it says, but my eyes are toward you, O Lord, my God, in you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass safely by. And so notice when it comes to deliverance, he is bringing that request first and foremost to God. He's saying, God, you're the one I look to for refuge. He's not looking to himself, his own abilities, anything else. He is looking to God. And again, I want you to notice going back to our last reading from the first few verses where his prayer starts. His prayer starts with asking God to set a guard over his own lips and his own heart that he would not be inclined towards evil. And then he asks for that deliverance. So even as he asks for God to deliver him from his enemies, he is asking God also to protect him from himself. I think that's a great example for us in prayer that we would truly seek God uh, and seek holiness, not just deliverance in the circumstances of our lives. Now let's move to our two prophetic passages today in Revelation and Hosea. In Revelation, we look at chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. And chapter 13 is going to talk about two different beasts. And this first beast that comes rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head, uh, this, I think, is rightly understood to be the Antichrist. And, And I think it's fair to see, well, why don't we think it's a literal beast with 10 horns and seven heads? Why do we think it's this ruler that is to come? Well, especially since we just read through Daniel, that's helpful to see all of those beasts, right, that were mentioned in that uh in those passages in Daniel that were clearly not literal beasts, they were representing kings and kingdoms. And so I think it makes sense to see this in that same light. This represents a king uh, or an authority and his kingdom. And in verse five, it talks about, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words as it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. For those of you keeping score at home, that is three and a half years. Again, uh, fitting into that seven year period talking about specifically a half of that period this time of tribulation. And this beast will have the authority in verse 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given over it 
it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And so there you you see that the world is going to worship this beast, but the, really the world that has not been written in the book of life, those that are not set apart, the saints of the Lord, are going to be the ones worshiping this beast in that time. Our other prophetic passage is not prophetic so much in the sense that it is telling us the future, but it is telling us the thoughts of God. And here you see in five chapters that we read, Hosea 6 through 10, it starts off with a few chapters really on the preciousness of repentance. It says at the very beginning of our reading today in chapter 6, verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And there you see that, hey, we return to the Lord. He will heal us. He will bind us up, right? He's Going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rains. All this beautiful and poetic language to describe repentance and its fruit. And that's the first three verses. Well, the rest of that chapter and the next four chapters, uh, they really talk about the judgment that is coming. It seems the offer of repentance is there, but the nation has repeatedly rejected that offer of repentance. And now they are facing the judgment of God. And so may we respond to that by saying, man, that beautiful offer of repentance, I want to take that. And if there's sin in your life that you know, I need to deal with that, jump into Hosea 6, 1 through 3, live that out. Go to the Lord that he might heal you, that he might bind you up and respond with that kind of humility. So I hope you're encouraged as we start a new week, uh, really to have joy, joy that comes from knowing that Jesus is alive, that you are encouraged to pray and to lift your requests to him today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.